Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger. Um, I wish I could tell you what number episode this is. It's somewhere in the 80s, but I'm not sure because we've been doing so many. But uh, we're thrilled that you're here with us and uh, proud to be joined by my co-host Wilkie Law this morning. Will, what's going on? Nothing much, nothing much. Glad to be here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, a, a belated shout out. This is going to be a little belated for your wife's birthday yesterday. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. We had a good time, man. Really good time. It's hard to surprise her, and I was actually able for the first time to surprise her uh, and do a dinner um, gathering with uh, some of our family and friends, and so it's hard to do that, and I was able to do it yesterday, so I feel pretty proud of that moment right now. Awesome, and we are super thrilled uh, to have our friend Danielle Knight on the podcast. Danielle, how's it going? Hey, everybody. It's going great. Thank you so much for having me. I am so, so thrilled to be a guest on your podcast. I'm a big fan of you guys. Thank you. Thank you. And we, uh, we were able to connect in person a few weeks ago, and I'm, I'm glad because, you know, we, we got you on here, you know, because we love talking to you, but also, you, you know, the, the tech, the Teach With Tech conference you put together is, you know, kind of the key thing we really want to make sure teachers know about because it's getting to the home stretch. So we're, we're thrilled to be able to talk to you and to be able to talk with you about that. Yeah, and I, uh, I, I want to just, before we start, when, when if anybody gets the privilege of meeting you both in person, you genuinely get the feeling that you two are best friends, teacher colleagues, you enjoy being together, like there's totally a feel for that. So when I walked away from you, when I met you guys, when I looked you up on Instagram, I was just like, wow, they also have an endeavor together, that's the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was really cool. So I really yeah. enjoyed meeting you guys. Yeah, thank you. And I, yeah. like, I pictured you guys working together. Like it was, it was like very yeah. natural. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and that's, and and it's, it's a. I don't know, Will. Would you say it's a little more pronounced when we're together? That the, you know, we're <laughs> we we taught together three years, and I was, you know. I lived four years while we were working together in Houston, and now I've been back in Wisconsin for a year. So I guess I would say the energy between us when we're actually in person, because we only get it a few times a year, is a little more, um, it's a little more amplified. powerful. Yeah, it's, ampl- it's amplified. So. It's amplified. That's a good one. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's totally yeah, true. It's, it's amplified. But yeah, you know what I mean? And, and Will's going to kind of run you down, uh, give you a rundown on what the podcast is and how it got started. But yeah, I mean, it. It truly was just, this is just a continuation of a conversation we started five years ago. So, well, well, it's very enjoyable. Thank you. Awesome. Well, Will, you want to kind of give her the rundown of, of what the podcast is about? Yes. Well, this was actually Kyle's brainchild. Um, we worked together about um, five years ago. We, were, we, were, we began a conversation about education and the state of education and the state of the classroom, how to modify classroom to get students to learn. And the conversation just kind of evolved into us creating the Lighthouse Educator Development Project, which is our nonprofit, which is totally committed to teacher development and providing resources for teachers and being a resource for teachers and um, to connect teachers with their students and with the community. And then Kyle had the idea to bring in the element of the podcast uh, to kind of get teachers' voices out there. And initially it was just us. To having a conversation on the podcast, and and I, I asked him, I say, hey man, we should try talking with other people, interviewing other people, and getting them on. And from that moment on, I mean, now 
about 16,000 downloads, you said, Kyle? Here? Yeah, we just passed 16,000. That's amazing. So, I mean, and that's kind, of, that's kind of our focus, is just to bring value back to the teaching craft by talking to educators and education stakeholders and those who, who have a heart and a passion for education. Mm. So that's why we wanted you to be here, because your energy, even with you, it was just amazing. I mean, we both walked away talking about it. Thank you. So, uh, we're, Thank you. We're honored that you took some time out to talk with us this morning. Yeah. Yeah. So, Danielle, if you don't mind, could you just, you know, to give our listeners, uh, you know, just a feel for who you are, you know, what's what's your backstory of, you know, who you are and how you got to be in education? So i I lived in I lived in New Jersey most of my life, but out of college, I was not a teacher. I was a um, communications undergraduate. I graduated from Westchester University. And my dreams quickly in like 1997, I got really into the online web development thing. Um, I mean, I was building websites with HTML back then, like, you know, in the notepad. So, mm. yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and then, um, you know. Kyle doesn't remember. Kyle doesn't remember that. That's why he didn't laugh. Hey, so, hey, I, was, I remember. Okay, so, I'm, yeah, so I'm in my early to mid 40s so I got to enjoy the internet I guess like industry I guess the market mm-hmm. in its earliest stages in New York City uh, I worked for Comcast outside Philadelphia for a year and then the, some, some of my girlfriends moved to Hoboken New Jersey and got jobs in New York so I quickly followed them I worked for Time Warner and they like I said, at the time, the industry was young. Everybody was right out of college. Uh, you know, I, I had my Kate Spade bag. I was wearing all black, taking the train into the city, enjoying uh, after work networking events. And But then September 11th, 2001 happened. And mm. the industry, the market crashed with advertising dollars and, you know, anything digital marketing related was being cut. From budgets, so a bunch of us in the Time Warner office were eliminated from our positions. And going through that, living in the region um, after 9/11, I was just like really reevaluating my life and what am I going to do next? And teaching just seemed like something that I think it was my calling. Like I really think like what I was going through at the time, I it was not. A crutch. It wasn't like a backup plan. It was something I was. That's what I wanted to do. So I went to grad school for teaching, and then that was it. And um, but my earliest teaching experiences were teaching theater. Um, I did that for two years, and then I just couldn't see myself doing it long term. So I went for the special ed, and I taught special ed high school English for the majority of my teaching career. I, I, um, yeah, I truly believe that was like, that's what I was meant to debate. And if, and when, cause I'm on a hiatus, I'm on a break now, a hiatus right now, doing public speaking and presenting. Mm-hmm. And I also have, um, I design curriculum resources for English classrooms. When I do go back, I will go back to that. Teaching right. special ed English. Right. I, I got to ask, because I, I haven't met very many people 
I mean, what was it like to to be in the New York area around 9-11? Like, when it happened uh, and after? Uh, lonely. How's that? Uh, empty. You wanted to connect with as many people as possible around you that experienced with you what you experienced, but it was almost like you were afraid to talk about it. You just didn't, I think, even now, when you when I look back and think about it, I mean, I keep in touch on social media with people I worked with at the time, people that lived around me. We never really bring it up. Unless there's the anniversary every year, and it just brings you right back to what happened. I mean, there's not a dry eye that day when I watch the names go across the screen, because there are some names I wait for. People that, yeah, and... um. You know, then there's text messages from friends that say, like, I saw his name or, you know, I saw... It, it's lonely. Very quiet. It was, it was bad. Uh, I stayed in Hoboken after. I, you know, but then I moved out of the area. But um, that's what happens with a lot of young 20-somethings that lived in that region during that time. Many didn't stay in the area. Right. I mean, it's just crazy to me because, I mean, I I can remember distinctly like that whole day because I was a junior in high school and I can remember that whole day like vividly, like all the classes I went to, we watched yeah. it and all the people. So, and I can't remember, I can't imagine how amplified it must be having been, you know, there to witness it and to have known people. That's got to, I mean, it's it's got to be just... Well, I'm a big Howard Stern fan, mm-hmm. and the first report, I remember being in a taxi that morning, was him saying, it was, you know, it was like, it wasn't a correct report, of course, because nobody knew what was happening, but he was like, you know, a, a small private plane, that's what, like, that was my first, I remember that perfectly listening to him, and I remember just, like, looking around, trying to figure out what was going on, but... Yeah, so I believe that was, like, what brought me... I think also, too, you reflect on, like, what are you doing with your life? Is this what is this what I want to do every day? Do I want to go on a train? Do I want to go to a job like this every day? Or do I want a teaching career where I can see myself making a difference? What do I want to look back at? You know, that was a huge wake-up call for my age... I guess, because when you're young, you know, you think you're so invincible. But I think that was like the first time in my life where I was reflecting on what I actually wanted to do. And it wasn't all about money anymore. Right. Because when you're gone, you can't really take it. You can't take it. Is this too deep for the podcast? (laughs) No. No, I mean, and, and Will and I have talked at length on the podcast. You know, I was the traditional... Um, traditional route teacher, you know, knew I was going to be a teacher and he was the opposite. So, you know, we, we definitely like putting out there that there are other, you know, there are other routes to become a teacher. And it's, it's the thing that really like strikes me about your story is I'm sure you've met some teachers who didn't start out as teachers. Like, you know, they went to college for different things that are fantastic. 
but there are some, you know, but then there are also some teachers who are alternative certification that are, you know, maybe should have never been in the classroom, but I'm, I'm always impressed with the people who come from outside of education, the experience and the depth of knowledge that they bring about other parts of life. And I think that's, I'm sure your students have really gained from the fact that you have experience outside of the classroom. Can I tell you also professionally, okay, so I had a really amazing mentor at Time Warner. I mean, she taught me how to write an email, the, the proper email etiquette, attending meetings, you always bring a pen, like those, like those kind of things. She always told me, like, make sure you walk around with a pen. Even if you're not going to do anything with it, you should always have a pen with you. That was like one of her things. So when I became a teacher, what do you think I did? When I left my room to, like, go to the main office, I would always bring a pen with me. When I drafted email, I always thought about her. And then, you know, it was my theater experience, my public speaking experience. That totally went into the classroom. Mm. Absolutely. And uh, design skills that I gained from Time Warner that I use now. So I believe everything that comes full circle. All your experiences that you gain totally carries over. Absolutely. So kind of so kind of on that point, what do you think is the value of a really great teacher? Well, early in my teaching career, it was all about like direct instruction. Nobody was really doing anything to make sure, you know, every child had the success, an opportunity for success. And I attended some really great training on project-based learning, problem-based learning, inquiry learning, discovery learning. Then I was like, you know what? This is so much more valuable as a teacher. I better be doing this in my classroom. For every kid that goes into my room, they leave with an opportunity to succeed. I think that's the value of a teacher. I think everyone that's in your room has to have that chance. Um, you know, your your direction should not be one-dimensional. One Is that the way, like, you should not be delivering your instruction one way. You should be using different ways. Uh, to add value for your students. Absolutely. And it's interesting because I, um, I think it was a few months ago I uh, texted Kyle about uh, the statement that I heard in a, st- a staff development where the presenter had said um, that as educators, we're the gatekeepers for opportunity. We kind of went back and forth, and when you just spoke that every student should lead with an opportunity to succeed, it really kind of defined that for me, that we are those gatekeepers. We're the ones who let kids know that, yeah, it's okay to dream big. It's okay to, to set goals and to accomplish them, that, 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 that that's okay. And all of that gives you opportunity. It's not about money. It's about opportunity, because most people could care less about the money. They care about the opportunity that having money brings. And I think if we focus that to kids, then that will set them up to be successful. And it won't be about how much money I'm making, it's how much opportunity do I have and how much opportunity am I providing for others. Mm-hmm. 
absolutely able to, to manifest their own. So I love that. I think too, when you deliver different opportunities, different ways of teaching for a child to be successful, I think it also teaches them to be better learners and maybe not maybe know themselves better too and how they how they can succeed in other classes. Mm, the transfer. Yeah, like I actually I really enjoy teaching students on how to learn. Um, an example is when you implement project-based learning, nobody should ever assume that a child knows how to manage a project. It's one of my pet peeves. Like, okay, we're going to do this project. Here you go. No, you need to teach a child how to start the project, pick the roles in the group, manage their expectations in the group, set some deadlines, um, the inquiry process. So I enjoy doing that also. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. That's true, but that's so true because I think a lot of times we think because kids in this in society are so advanced as far as things that they have access to, but just because they have access <laughs> so true. does not mean that they know how to do it. <laughs> you know, kids know how to Google things, but that doesn't mean that when you give them an assignment that they know how to do, go do research using Google in order to get them to the answer that's going to help them, you know, finish to complete their, uh, their project. So in the classroom, I was really big on that. And some people criticized me saying, you're spending too much time on that. You're spending too much time on teaching them to do that. When are they going to actually do it? And my question was, how are they going to know how to do it? Yeah. So I don't want to call them the copy and paste generation because you know I had plenty. I had plenty of students that didn't copy and paste. But like you just said, like you, anybody can go on Google look up an answer. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? Like, what are you doing with that answer? Where did it come from? Wait, is the answer valid? Is it mm. is it real? <laughs> like, I I went through that a lot. Well, and I, and I think, too, you know, we were prior to recording talking about Instagram and Facebook and those thing and things, and I think it's really important, as too, for them personally is to help them differentiate, you know, kind of what's real on there versus what's fake, you know, because we, we know that, especially on the Internet, people can kind of paint themselves to be one thing or they can paint situations to be one thing, but you know, really teaching kids to be, you know, critically think and to really try to understand where a person's coming from or, you know, what a particular piece of information is because it's, it just seems like to me that the voices that are out there, especially on social media are so loud right now that, um, it's hard for, I mean, it's hard for me as an adult to sift through what's real and what's not when you can go, when you can look at a story and I can go on five different websites and get five different interpretations of that story. That's so true. Oh, I mean, that's and, so true. And, and for know, kids, yeah. yeah, for kids, for kids to be, you know, let's just say middle school, high school, and to have to do that, I, I got to imagine it's challenging. And I, I think that's something along the lines of what Will was saying is if we don't teach them to, you know, understand how to research and to do the process of these things, they might be drowned out by what information is available. So the online information, I mean, it's all part of 
digital citizenship. So if anybody listening to the podcast wants more information on how to help their students develop online skills with like finding information that's valid, not valid, what to do with their research, avoid plagiarism. There's a, I'll give you guys the link if you want to drop it in the mm-hmm. comments or the description, how to implement digital citizenship, digital citizenship across different subjects. It's really important. Yeah. Absolutely. Here's, here's a, and this is a question I'll put to both of you that's kind of off. You know, what is, what do you think the relationship is between digital citizenship and like in-person citizenship? Because I, and I and I don't <laughs> know exactly. A, that's a good question. And I don't know exactly what I'm even trying to get at, but I, I'm thinking about you know we live so much of our life digitally, but are you know is that citizenship crossing over into what we do when we're face to face or how we interact in the world? You mean like if I'm sitting with you having pizza, you're not taking a picture of your pizza and posting it? Or even, even, yeah, I mean, that's part of it too, but I mean, you know, so many people are talking about, you know, different topics on the internet, you know, the, the social issues, but how, how, how does, how, how does how we act on the internet translate to how we act as a person? I'm, I'm get I'm just, you talked about citizenship. I, I definitely think that, um. My generation still interacts, but I am finding that less and less I can pick up the phone and call someone and they answer. How's yeah. that? And that's... Um, there is not a lot of, there's not a lot of um, desire for the verbal communication for the, hey, maybe that's why podcasts are taking off in popularity because people are enjoying list the listening. Right. Uh, you know, they're, they're craving for the, uh, the conversation. Hey, I grew up with talk radio. My father listened to talk radio constantly for sports. Uh, we listened to the fan WFAN. So, and I, and I love Howard. I love Howard Stearns. Like I think, the actual art of conversation it has diminished. Uh, I don't know if like a job requirement anymore is to have interpersonal communication skills. I hope so. So, um, Will, when you have kids work in groups, do you walk around to make sure they're conversing? I do. Yeah, I that's really important. Collaborator. I believe. I, I mean, I'm a math teacher, and I still believe in the power of the written language and the spoken word. Um, I grew up in a household where our words have power. Uh, I was taught that our words have power, and I teach kids to use them. And I think that when we teach kids, I mean, uh, language is how we display our learning. So if we don't teach kids how to utilize that language, then we're technically saying we don't care what you know. But as educators, we do. So I can't, two plus two, I mean, you can, by rote memorization, get that down packed and understand it. But when I ask you a problem and tell you Jimmy has two shoes, Bob gave him a pair of shoes, 
now he has four shoes. Can you explain to me what happened in here with the term pair and two shoes? And kids being able to reason, you can't mathematically figure that out. You have to use your words. You have to use language. And I think that when we're connecting with students, that is the most powerful medium to get them there. And even using some of the things um, online where you can, like the Google Classroom, where you can actually have them type in responses, you know, uh, you know, verbal responses to their things. Or we talked earlier about Flipgrid. You know, you put Flipgrid, they can record their own quick Flipgrid real quick to uh, post up there. Anything that gets them to use their, their language. I believe if you, if you can explain it to me, then you know it. You understand it. So, what do I, listen, Flipgrid's huge right now. Oh, Can I bet fun. you that that's like that's the premise of it? I mean, I know that's what it is, but it's, that was a really good, for example, the Flipgrid. And you know, because and it's interesting because my wife, she's been um, you know interviewing for a position, and. To twice the uh, schools have, have emailed her and said, "Hey, can you send us a ninety-second footprint introducing yourself?" You know, so you know, even in, in the employment sector, they're saying, "Okay, just so I can get a picture of you and an idea of who you are before you get in, let me hear what you have to say." That's cool. That's neat. Mm. So then, you know, to kind of, I'm going to take the questions out of order because I just feel like it fits. So. You're a big proponent of technology, Daniel, and you were a SPED teacher. So how did you, over the course of, of your time and, you know, in what you, resources create, you create, how do you use the technology to enhance the learning for the SPED kids especially? Well, in the very beginning of using the Google Slides, my goal was to take what I was doing on paper and making them paperless. It actually, like, in the very beginning, I had these interactive notebooks, these really great hands-on learning tools, but they were taking such a, they were taking a long time in class to assemble, to color, to cut, to glue, who was losing everything, wait, who wasn't into doing it, I mean, like, there was all kinds of things happening, the stacks of paper, uh, you know, the, I had to buy, like, this really big stapler, to like, the heavy-duty staplers, <laughs> which is a very highly desired item in, in school and was stolen a few times, by the way, but brought back miraculously, right? So anyway, the, the resources, I started delivering them using Google Slides. I was embedding the resources in the background of the slides and delivering them to Google Drive, Google Classroom, to my students to complete. But I was designing them to look like paper resources very colorful, um, larger larger font, larger text size, spaces for students to publish their responses. So I saw students that hated to write. They loathed any writing assignment I would give them to turning them in nine times out of ten just because I delivered it on a tech device, which is... um. Primarily, I use Chromebooks. Just putting that into their hands, it like the engagement went way up. Um, 
I started offering different types of assignments, creating timelines using Google Slides, using websites to create comic strips, storyboards, create a music video, uh, which they love, by the way, um, recreate a scene from the book, and then or write a script and then act it out. There were just many different, all of a sudden the engagement was just going up. Vocabulary didn't seem so tedious anymore. Uh, they got to share their vocabulary with me. I put it up on the smart board. Like they were, all of a sudden it was like, if I didn't deliver it that way and I put a piece of paper in front of them, they were okay for the one day. But then the next day they wanted the Chromebook back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was still instructing. I was still a facilitator. I mean, I did not let the technology drive the lesson. It was just how I would I would use the technology to assess them, not deliver my content. Right. And I think a lot of times technology gives a bad rap because of how a lot of educators use them. Um, you know, I've, I've been privileged. I was an instructional coach for the last three years, and I was privileged to go into a lot of great teacher classrooms. And I would watch teachers uh, deliver, you know, quick mini lessons. I watched one teacher deliver three quick mini lessons in a fifth grade classroom. And then, I mean, when I say mini lessons, some up 10 to 12 minutes. And then the rest of the time in the classroom, the kids were engaged in assignments where they had to go back. And the notes were online, so they could actually go back to their notes and answer the questions and do the assignments and Literally, the kids created a mind map of the three. Uh, I can't even remember what the uh, what the um, lessons That's were, but they all were interlinked with one another. I love mind um, maps. And the students were able to create their own, and it was just amazing to walk around and look at the difference differences in how the kids created. And some of the kids did blocks, you know, with their words. Some of them did, you know, squiggly lines going around with, you know, with big big asterisks everywhere, but every single one was different. No two were alike. And I think that when you use it to support that classroom, it makes a big difference. Huge, it's right? In a generation that's driven by, by, by technology. They're driven. They're, they're glued to it. So we just so, have to give them a way to utilize that. So, you know, teaching literature, especially like during pre-reading, I delivered a lot of guided notes. I watched guided notes instead of like eye rolls, right? I would give them the Chromebooks and when we would when I would do the guided notes with them, they were all inputting everything we talked about into their notes. And they became much more I just it was great. I don't know. I just saw it, I saw a total difference. So then um you know on on that same token with with sped you know what advice would you give and it can relate to technology and sped or just sped in general what, what advice would you give to to classroom teachers on how they can better serve their their special education students take your uh, take so i believe regular educate Regular class, regular ed classroom teachers should utilize, should 
tap the minds of their special education colleagues more. And most likely if there's special education students in the classroom, you have a special ed teaching partner. Mm -hmm. I know in New Jersey that's required. Uh, it's, not always, it's also, yeah, so it's not always the case though. It's not, especially um, like a, during like home instruction situations or in, a, in an elective. In New Jersey, they don't require it. But my, I believe I, my success as a special ed teacher was approach the child as a struggling learner, which by the way, regular ed teachers contact me constantly and tell me this is all their students special ed, regular ed, college prep, even AP students, if you provide different ways for the child to turn in their work, this goes back to the opportunities for success. Don't be afraid to give alternative assignments. How's that? So, like the choice assignments. So, everything should have value also. One of my biggest pet peeves is when one of my special ed students would come back from another class and be like, this is what I have to do. And it's a poster lifting of like the water cycle. All right, well, that's just copied from a book. Seriously, you can go on Google and get a picture of the water cycle. You're just going to have the child recreate the poster. I mean, recreate. I find that kind of wasteful. And then you're going to, if the child turns it in late or if the child doesn't turn it in and I think something more meaningful would be like explain the water cycles. Explain the water cycles. I don't know. Will help me on this. Um, a more meaningful assignment, like maybe like a problem-based learning assignment with the water cycle. But then allow them. But then allow them to turn in a video for it, like a Flipgrid with a poster or a brochure. You know, there's different ways. I I, I really can't stand the copy assignment. Well, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, absolutely, absolutely. I, I, yeah. One year, I had a we had a principal one year who who basically demanded that you did not turn in a worksheet, that you did not give a student a worksheet, um, and that forced us to uh, really think outside of the box of how we got students to engage uh, with you know with their with the actual lesson and to engage to be able to assess their meaning. I mean, their uh, their learning. And I think it was one of the best things ever that it taught me that I don't need a textbook. You know, I don't need a worksheet to, to be able to teach students. And at that point, we were limited to our lab time to once every two weeks or something like that. So we didn't have a lot of technology use. But at the same time, those kids were successful because I, challenged, I had to challenge myself, number one, to be able to find ways for them to demonstrate their mastery of things and different ideas that would pull the learning out of it. And so that's what they challenged me. So of course it's going to challenge them to have to complete it. And a lot of times I was doing it with them, you know, so they can see, oh, Mr. Law, you made a mistake. And, you know, okay, what do I say about mistakes? Everybody makes them. Okay, so since we don't, we're not going to make a big deal about them, we correct them. We Absolutely. make them, we correct them, we move on. And I think that when you do that, it's it, when you're doing a worksheet or you're just giving kids that copy this down and, and go, go sit over there, because I have a 12-year-old. Well, she'll be 12 this uh, this month. 
I can be honest with you. Unless I tell her to go in her backpack and get her things out and sit down and read over her notes that she went over in class, she's not going to do that. I know. <laughs> so having a kid copy down notes does nothing to solidify the learning process at all. At all. So I had um, a girlfriend contact me, panicked. Her son was a junior in high school at the time. He's not going to pass science. Not going to pass it because he was missing an assignment. So I said, well, what was it? She was looking for me to help her. And I'm like, well, what was it? She's like, it was a photosynthesis poster. I said, what do you mean? Like, just the photosynthesis process? She's like, yeah. They were going to fail him because of a poster on the photosynthesis process. Because he didn't, uh, it was just ridiculous. Like, that was it. He just had to turn it in. It was kind of silly he didn't do it. (laughs) But, like... Mm -hmm. That's really what you were going to determine his grade based on? Right. It was just, yeah. And, you know, we had that whole discussion. But then I was like, just go get him the coaster board and have him do it. Like, really? But, yeah. (laughs) I kind of was like, just go to the dollar store and get a poster. (laughs) Right. And, and, you know, to to point out laws, you you know, Will's daughter, who's about to be 12, like, she probably isn't going to read her notes, but she's putting together her own rap album. Like, that's what these kids are into now. And like, Well, and that's can... amazing. Really? Yeah, she's, she's in, we're, in the, we're in the creative arts process right now, and um, I'm giving her freedom to do it the way she wants to with just me facilitating how she wants to do it, and and um, it's, um, like I say, it, 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 it makes me feel almost powerless because I'm leaving it all up to her, but excited at the same time to know that whatever comes out of it, it's, it's hers. Have you considered taking her to one of the auditions for, like, America's Got Talent? Or we, we, We've talked about that. Um, she, has a, she has a show that she loves to watch, uh, The Rap Game. Um, I don't think I know that displays, It's for, um, out of Atlanta. Um, and basically, he takes... Jermaine Dupree, he, he, his whole career, yes, he's taken, I know who he is, like yes. the, um, you know, he takes young artists and, and molds them, so she started watching that about Wait, three Will, again, ago. I think we're around the same age, so I know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, know, right here, I yeah. know him, yep. Yeah, so, so she's been excited about that, so that's why I told her, I said, look, if you give me a year of working with you um, and helping you develop the skill set that's needed, you could be there. And so that's kind of been her mission to get there. So now, are you musical? I, I am. I was a music producer. I've been playing piano for the last since I was about five or six years old. Um, went to college on a music scholarship initially. Um, so yeah, that's uh, awesome. That's a blessing. She's blessed. That's awesome. Right. Did some things in college and uh, you know worked with a couple with a couple of radio record labels, signed to a couple of production deals and. You know, a lot of stuff, I think for me at that time, it was more of a of a lifestyle of the hip-hop artist. Sure. Versus, versus the, you know, the monetary uh, gain that you can get from it. So I, I really feel like I kind of squandered it around, away. But, again, I, I, when I got out of college and moved back to Houston, I started, become, I became a worship leader at my church. And so then, using my music again. So, and then my daughter picked it up. So, yeah. Well, and and to brag on your daughter a little bit too, she's going to be a published poet soon as well. Yeah. I mean, so. Yeah. Oh my year. god. 
September, her first her first poem will be published. I'll make sure I post it because uh, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to get the book. We already placed our order, so. So now, Will does um does her school celebrate her successes? They, they her school is amazing about connecting and making sure that students that the parents know. We got the news this summer about it. We knew she was she had submitted poetry to be in the contest, but we didn't find out until this summer. Um, matter of fact, right after um, right after I got back here, um, she was we had gotten the letter in. So it was the beginning of July. Well, yeah, around July, July fourth, July fifth is when we found out that she actually was a finalist and was going to be published. So. I'm pretty Amazing. sure celebrate that. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing more and following yeah. that. That's great. Yeah, she's, she's That's pretty unbelievable. Awesome. And it's funny because she's ignited me because I've sat here. I used to write poetry. and So we've been sitting here and, like, I'll write a poem and I'll get it to her and she'll explain it to me. Oh, this really meant this. Let's use this language. You use that. And I think, again, it goes to finding the things that kids love mm-hmm. and letting them build their own hierarchy of what's important to them based on what they love to do. And I stressed about her being, she, she, she struggled in math. And a good friend of mine said, don't beat her over her head about her math. Push what she's good in. So I pushed her in ELA. I pushed her to read books. I bought her books. You know, introduced her to poetry. Introduced her to all these things. And then all of a sudden there was a shift. Her math scores got better. You know, her, 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 her level of activity at school got better. You know, her confidence got better. All because I was focusing more on her strength than the things that she was weak at. Gave her more confidence. That's, that's great. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So, we, we definitely want to be respectful of, of your time and your summer, but we, we, we got to have you, and this is, you know, a, a big part of what we wanted to have you on here uh, on is, could you Talk a little bit about the Teach with Tech conference that's coming up. Um, it'll be a week from, it'll start July 23rd, right? It starts the morning of July 23rd. It's uh, all on Eastern Standard Time. There are 25 speakers, 25 sessions. It's completely delivered online. We are using, we are using two delivery methods. We are delivering the videos in a closed Facebook group. And if you're not on Facebook, we will deliver you, the attendee, a daily email with exclusive video links to watch the videos. Uh, most all the videos also come with downloadable notes um, or like a handout. There's going to be a ton of giveaways in the group and lots of interaction with the speakers and the attendees while the videos are going on. So primarily the the session is for teachers that use tech, technology in the classroom. So not necessarily tech teachers or tech coaches, but there's a lot of attendees that have that role. Our focus is for this, the classroom teacher that wants to add more technology to their lessons. Um, we have a wide array of offerings that, and everything from like Google apps, organizing, Parent communication using Google, um, uh, Edpuzzle. We have uh, technology for like kindergarten classes, digital scoot. We have an awesome session on uh, green screens. 
which I love. I love the whole green screen strategy. Uh, I'm going to be delivering. On, uh, we have a session on video, Google Forms. So if you want more information, you can go to teachwithtechconference.com, and that's where you register. And then um, you'll be directed to the closed group. So, so far we've had over 16,000 uh, attendees register from all over the world. When I tell wow. you all over the world, I mean, there's been a few places I've had, I've had to look up. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I consider myself pretty, pretty, you know, good with like geography and stuff, but there's, it's amazing the, the places that people are saying they're from. Well, and this is the first, this is your first first one, right? Correct. This is the first one that first we yeah the first one that we are hosting, and I've collaborated with um, Aaron Flanagan and Julie Smith. They are also uh, teacher authors like myself, uh, ed tech bloggers. I've known them for quite a while, and the three of us came together with different strengths, uh, different things that we can take on individually um, as a collaboration to pull this off and it's worked so far really great yeah and we were we were talking a little bit um, about uh, a mutual friend Gary Gray who's you know a Canadian who teaches in Singapore and it's just like yes. I, I'm I'm so excited that you, you brought him on because he's just he, not, he's just such a good dude but you know the stuff he does on technology uh, with technology and and I just look at the stuff he puts out even just on like you said Instagram and YouTube the way he's able to to cut things and to mold them and to just it's super impressive the stuff that he does and he's not just doing it for Instagram and YouTube he he does he actually practices it and does it for his kids as well and you know you could tell that by his video because I have the privilege of seeing his video already but uh First of all, I promise anybody that watches his video, you smile the entire time. You have a smile on your face just because you have to smile back at him in the video. Because you feel like he's delivering the message to you personally. Wow. And he does believe in what he delivers. You can totally tell that. Like, just the way, I don't think he scripts anything. I think it just comes from him, naturally. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, that's a great session to attend. And for the listeners, if you want to go to the website, you'll see there's a schedule already posted for the conference. And we have a conference guide because um, that has a PD session log. So you can go back to school with that filled out for PD credits because we are offering a PD certificate for anybody that attends. Now, we're not accredited, so it's up to you and your school district. So, like, if you go back to your district and say, I watched 10 videos, that's between you and the school district on how much, how many hours they're going to give you. Like, we can't, I can't promise that. Um, but, like, I know, like, where I live in New Jersey, they want you to do PD. So, there are a lot of school districts that are willing to accept hours that you complete on your own. Anything for right. you to improve and to grow, they encourage that. Right, and I think it goes along with the differentiation that we that we desire teachers to have in the classroom is that we have to offer that same differentiation in their learning. 
you know, I know personally me, I'm not a sit and get type of type of participant when I go. I'm fully engaged. I love to engage um, with, with, with the presenters, with the other participants. I think that makes things, you know, makes a big difference if I can engage. If I had to just sit and listen, I... Yeah, you turn out. You're right. Yeah, I'll probably start doodling or writing something or, you know, get distracted, you know, do something else. But that, I mean, I think districts are going to have to come around for those. Those states are going to have to come around and realize that we can't expect teachers to deliver something that we don't offer them themselves in, in a way of differentiation. Yeah, so I think the appeal of this conference is because it's free. Um, and as, as teachers, you know, as teachers, we say, if it's free, it's for me, right? Mm-hmm. So, it's free, and it's during the summertime, so you don't have to go anywhere. Right. And, you know, not everybody can afford to go to conferences uh, or, you know, with child care and stuff. But, yeah, well, I'm with you. I, like, I enjoy going in person. I agree with that. But um, I think, but I the, I think online conferences are going to gain popularity. Absolutely. I know my district alone, uh, next year, for this year's PDs, all of our PDs are going strictly. The majority of the district PDs will be online, offered online. So it's, you're, you're absolutely in line with what I know uh, the movement we're making as a school district here in Houston. So um, August 1st, I'm going to be at Tech Splash, which is a New Jersey um, association for um, EdTech. That's in Marlboro, New Jersey. That's a one-day conference, and Alice Keeler is the keynote. So if you're listening and you're in New Jersey, you should check that out. Um, just go online and look up TechSplash18, uh, I believe is the hashtag, on Twitter, and you'll find information on that. And that's in person. And really, you know, talking with you, and I'm really interested because, you know, we were talking a little bit about, you know, when you go to conferences, you're not just trying to listen to the presenters, you're also trying to see how it works, because, you know, our our big thing that we've got that we're going to launch in September is we're going to, we're going to, we have a, a two-year new teacher or novice teacher mentoring program um, that we're going to do strictly online, and we're going to do it free for 50 teachers. Um, oh, wow. So we're looking for 50 teachers. Uh years with with zero to two years experience um and the program primarily is going to focus on the the relationship and personal personal development side of being a teacher so really trying to fill in you know the gap in what a lot of us as as you know when we were learning about education at university you know not very many of us were really taught the value of relationships as a teacher or even, you know, and especially not how to really cultivate them. And, and, and we're launching that completely free online too. So it's really interesting, you know, to get to talk with you and to see what you guys do with this conference and, and how you use that tech in how we can, you know, cause we don't, we don't want it to be, we really want it to be a community. And, and even just your advice on using like Flipgrid as, you know, we could have them do written responses or we could have them do Flipgrid. So at least, you know, when they're commenting on each other's posts or whatever it is, they can put a name to a face. And we just hope that even though we're doing it online, that we can still make it very personal, 
personal and, and really build a true community. You know, um, both of you are secondary teachers, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so one of the things in, in your program, which would be cool to add, like, you know, there's awesome focus on student, teacher and student relationship building. I find in the secondary teacher setting, teacher to teacher relationship building is also important because I worked with a handful of people that lacked in that area where I think in secondary education, if you find that person that you can collaborate with, and I'm not talking about like, you know, going out drinking and being BFFs all the time. That's a bonus by the way. But if you can work with somebody and you're building effectively, you know, like I think PLCs should maybe be looked at closely. (laughs) Um, I didn't really find them always effective. I don't know. I think they could have improved on that where I worked. Um, Sometimes I thought they were like a waste of 45 minutes. You know, some people want to be there. Some people don't want to be there. Some people contribute. Then, you know, you always have your takers. (laughs) You know, they don't give. So I would love to hear more about the program that you guys have going. And I would love to share that out, the groups that I'm in. Yeah, we would, um, we would, we would really appreciate that. And like I said, yeah. we're, we're excited. We're excited for your, your teach with tech conference next week. So I know we, you, you listed, you said the website prior, um, but what's the website for the conference one more time? Teachwithtechconference.com. Perfect. And if people um, want to yeah. just connect with you and find you, where, where can they go about doing that? So, like, on Instagram, you could just type in Danielle Knight, and I come up. Or you could actually type in my handle, which is study all night, and I use K in the word night, like my last name. And I'm consistently the same across all social media, study all night. And then my blog is studyallnight.com. Okay, perfect. Will, you got any questions, anything you'd like to ask before we wrap this episode up? Um, no, I just, I'm, I'm excited because I'm actually, uh, I've, I've signed up and registered for it, so. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Because this is my first year going back into the classroom, and I know with our schedule, the way Kyle and I, you know, typically do it throughout the year, being an instructional coach gave me a lot more flexibility. To be able to move around now, I want to be able to set up those um, that digital type of classroom setting so that when I am not there, my students can still benefit from direct instruction with me even creating videos. You know, my, my instructional coach now is saying, hey, you know, we should just, when you know you're out, let's go ahead and create a lesson online. I mean, create a video of you teaching the lesson. That way the kids can watch the video and we can have them create their their laps from there and, you know, do everything digitally. And then she, she even has the idea to say, if you're available, you should be able to Skype into some of your classrooms and just to kind of let your kids know that you're thinking about them. Because one thing is built on relationships, and I think when you combine strong relationships with that digital uh, platform, I mean, I think you, you really you really create something. I mean, following you on Instagram is nothing like meeting you in person. I mean, you're an amazing person. I love the work that you do. I see it, and combining all that together, 
really helps it. So I think that you want to be my social media manager. <laughs> I, that's always an area I need help in. <laughs> and, well, you know, that's I'm, true. I'm, like, it's not a, this is not my social media is not my thing. I mean, I'm learning from Kyle and learning from you guys on how to combine this. I mean, I grew up in the same era with you. Know, I went to college with typewriters. You know, I didn't go to laptops. You know. <laughs> Wait, wait, I had, the, I had the brother typewriter with the one, the, like, the, remember the, the little tiny screen? I had that. With the little tiny screen. I graduated to that one my sophomore year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, like, a big deal. Like, I remember my, my roommates would be, like, watching it print. Like, that's so awesome. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, a, we didn't even know what a computer screen was. Yeah. I remember getting our first computer lab on our campus, and I was like, hey, why aren't you going to a computer lab? And I was like, you have a computer lab? What? Yeah, I used to know. I was so excited I got an email. I remember that. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, I'm bringing up, like, the whole social media thing. I'd like to leave everybody with, like, the thought of be present in your life and be present in your classroom. Don't always worry about it being Pinterest-worthy. Don't always worry about the picture opportunities. Be present in what you're doing. And enjoy conversations and connect. How's that? Mm. Uh, Sounds like a good... That's a, yeah. Yeah, it's a great thought to end on. So, Danielle, thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast with us. Well, thank you so much. And um, I'd love to talk more again soon. I'd love to hear more about your program with the new teachers. And I'm looking forward to hearing the broadcast of, the, of this episode. So thank you guys so much. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, well, Kyle, I'll send you links if you'd like to add them to the podcast description for uh, the listeners to follow up if they'd like. Yeah, absolutely. That would be perfect. Okay, great. So all exciting things. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you.